Live from the bridge at the Launchpad Studios in Huntington, New York, it's Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Cardboard Memories, Clearview, Long Island, the law firm of Decalator, Cohen, and DePrisco, the Phoenix Tube Company, Pims Incorporated, fueling brand performance for 30 years, Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, and Soho Table Hockey. Here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man who forged a 15-year NBA career with some of the top teams of the 90s, including the Seattle Supersonics, Detroit Pistons, Utah Jazz, which included over 1,000 regular season games, 37 playoff games. His 15 NBA seasons, he averaged 23.5 minutes, 7.8 points, and 6.7 rebounds per game. It is a pleasure to welcome the pride of All Hallows High School in the South Bronx, the one and only Olden Polonese. Welcome, Olden. How you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Anytime we can speak basketball with you, we're doing great. You know, your story for me is fascinating, as your journey to the NBA is not the prototypical one. In fact, long before you came to the United States or picked up a basketball, you spent your childhood in Haiti essentially immobile, unable to walk. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how you were able to overcome that? Yeah, well, um, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Haiti and its medical system. It's not the best in the world. So when, and again, this is stuff my parents have told me and some of the things I remember as I got older. But um, I was born with my feet turned inwards, and which I guess is called club foot now, or club feet. So I had to, um, they had to reset my, my feet and put me in a cast. So I was in a cast for two years. And, you know, walking was like my number one goal, let alone, you know, playing, you know, basketball or any kind of sport. So it was a tough, tough road. You know, like I said, we didn't have the best medical system. You know, I still remember my dad and mom rubbing oil on my legs to massage them as I got older. And it's just, it's one of those situations, you know, it is what it is. I mean, that's the cards I was dealt and I made the most of it. But it's, uh, it's, you know, for me to end up playing professional basketball, it's, it's so far-fetched. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing. You, um, you and your family immigrated to the United States when you're seven. You grew up in the Harlem section of New York City. We mentioned you attended All Hallows High School in the South Bronx. What do you remember about your adjustment to, to life in the United States as a seven-year-old? And if I'm correct, you, you pretty much learned how to speak English from watching Sesame Street and The Electric Company. Yes, I did. Um, when we first got to the U.S., my, my number one memory is finding out the bathroom was indoors. <laughs> that, was, that was like the best because I was like, we don't have to go outside anymore. <laughs> and so it was it's little things like that that Americans take for granted that I, I thought was like amazing, you know, having you know, food to eat on a regular basis. It's just, you know, it's these little things. And so I, that's why I value it so much. But, you know, just, you know, coming to the U.S. and having to uh, not assimilate, but, you know, learn the language. And I find out pretty much kids, no matter what country, they all evil. <laughs> I got man. I thought it was bad in Haiti. They're just as bad in the U.S. when I got here. You know, they made fun of the way I talked because I had that rough accent back then. And one of the things that I regretted so much when I was a kid is they made me feel so bad. At one point, I I stopped saying I was from Haiti. 
I started saying I was from anywhere else, but hey, because of all the evil that they were spewing and everything else, I literally, and then I, you know, my parents had to check me like, hold up now, we're from here, you better be proud of where you're from. Mm -hmm. And from that moment on, I never did that again. It's also interesting because I don't know how many of our listeners might have seen the movie American Gangster with Denzel Washington, but you grew up in that neighborhood when Frank Lucas and Nicky Barnes were basically running Harlem, and you actually had some interactions with those guys as well, right? I did. Um, playing basketball, you know, those guys, they would like, you know, just give money to, to guys that when they were good, they, they knew like which guys were going to make it and all that stuff. So they tried to like get close to you. And so I had that happen. You know, I got me a couple hundred dollars. I'm not ashamed to say it. It's like <laughs> I was not born with a silver spoon in my mouth. So I was taking it. If you had a good game, you got an extra hundred. So, you know, stuff like that happened all the time. But the, the better you were, the more money you got. <laughs> you know, every athlete has pivotal people in their lives who play roles in their careers. What impact did All Hallows coach John Carey have on you? Oh, my goodness. That's, I call him my other dad. And, you know, I hear a lot of people say that, but this man literally was my, like another father to me. He spoke to me. You know, he didn't coddle me. You know, but at the same time, he, he wasn't overbearing. He, he just, he told me the truth, you know, but the most important thing he told me, you know, was stop using the word can't. Because <laughs> when I was learning how to play basketball, I, I literally hated the game. And so he would pass me the ball. My fingers are getting jammed. You know, I'm not used to the game. And so I kept saying, I can't do this. I can't. He grabbed me one day. And you got to remember, this man's like five, four, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he just grabbed me. Hey, let me tell you something. I don't ever want to use that word again. Okay. Stop saying I can't. That was major for me because I did have a lot of issues with confidence, you know, back then. And so that was something that helped me and it motivated me. You know, don't say, don't say the word can't, don't use that word anymore. And, you know, it was just, but he was very instrumental in my life. And I, you know, I keep in touch with him because that's how much he meant to me. And my parents didn't allow a lot of people inside our homes or inside our circle. And he was one of the few to ever have been in our homes, you know? <laughs> and so it's like, that was major. We're speaking with Olden Polonese. If you just tuned in, your outstanding high school career leads you to be an early signee at the University of Virginia. That decision would pay off as a freshman. You helped the UVA Cavaliers to the NCAA Final Four as they won the NCAA Eastern Region as the number seven seed defeating the number 10 seed Iona, then the number two seed Arkansas, the number three seed Syracuse, and the number four seed Indiana en route to the final four. Uh, you guys lose an overtime in the Midwest Region Championship, the University of Houston denying you guys. What What is the most memorable part of that run, considering, you know, Samson and the whole thing with that college, all of a sudden you're a freshman and you guys get to the final four? Well, the most memorable thing was getting called out by the coaching staff back then because, um, again, everybody forgot one, one major thing. I was brand new to basketball. <laughs> so when I signed with Virginia, so my, my senior year was my second full year of basketball. And so my freshman year is like I'm still in my infancy. So when I got to Virginia, you know, we had Tom Sheedy, who's an All-American, and, you know, we had all the other players, Rick Carlisle, Othell, guys that are really good. So when I got there, I'm 
you know, I'm finding out how difficult it is to play college basketball because it's all new to me. And so I kept getting hurt. And they were like, oh, he has no heart. You know, there's no toughness in him. And I was like, no, I'm hurt. But the thing about me is that I never told them I was hurt. I tried to fight through it, you know. And so it wasn't until the George Washington game against All-American Mike Brown where I just stepped up and played even injured. And then that's when all of a sudden they were like, oh, this, this kid got hurt. And the rest is history. But that run we had, I'm not bragging, but <laughs> if I didn't play the way I did during the tournament run, we never would have made some final. No, no question. <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. No question there at all. 86-87, you're selected eighth overall by the Chicago Bulls in the draft, but you're traded to the Seattle Supersonics for Scottie Pippen. Take me back to that day, what you recall about it, and then secondly, have you ever wondered what your career would have looked like if the Bulls kept you and you got that opportunity to play with Michael for all those years? Uh, no, I've never thought about it that way. I try not to do the what-if game, but what I remember and what ended up happening was this. So right at the draft, we're sitting there. When I've only, and you got to remember, I've only worked out for two teams. I worked out for New York and I worked out for Seattle. And so I'm saying to myself, well, New York is too far down. I'm probably not going to make it. And Seattle already told me I was coming to Seattle. They're going to pick me. So when Commissioner Stearns said with the fifth pick, <laughs> I'm literally leaning up about to get up because I'm like, that's my team. They've already guaranteed me that. <laughs> and so he says the, word, the name Scott Pippen. And I was like, who the hell is Scott Pippen? That's not me. And so I sit back and look behind me to my agent and he's like, and I'm saying, I'm mouthing the words, what's going on? He's like, relax, relax, relax. Well, what I found out years later, what happened is this. Chicago wanted Scotty, but they found out Sacramento wanted Scotty as well. So they made the crowds. He mentioned it on the last dance. Yeah. So they made the deal the night before. And league rules don't allow you to consummate a trade until after a certain point in time in the draft. And so that's all it was. I was never supposed to go to Chicago, and Scotty was never supposed to go to Seattle at all. It just happened that way. So we ended technically, we, we were traded for each other, but, you know, it was done the night before. You know, 15 years in the NBA is a huge accomplishment. The game also changed a lot over those 15 years. The torch was passed as Dr. J retired the year before you broke in. Still had Magic Bird, but your rookie year was also the transition to Michael. What was your recollections playing against that holy trinity of Bird, Magic, and Michael? Oh, my goodness. You got to remember, my first game was against Magic and Kareem, <laughs> you know, so I caught Kareem, and I remember him hitting a sky hook on me when I checked in the game in the first quarter, and I was in awe. I was like, oh, my God, he just shot a sky hook on me. I'm literally, like, in the game in awe of this man because that was, like, one of my heroes. And I was like, oh, my God. And he looked at me like, this kid, he is weird. You know, he's crazy. <laughs> and then my Bernie Bickerstaff looked at me, get your head in the game. And I'm like, that's Kareem. <laughs> I was so in awe of this man. And so it was like, you know, to play against Magic and Kareem the first game, and then you go a week later, you got Bird, Mikhail, Paris, Dennis Johnson, and then later on, you know, but I knew Michael already from college. And so we already had our battles, and we were friends in college. So that wasn't 
as big of a deal as playing against Magic and Bird and Kareem, you know. So it was just amazing, you know, and that's why I always like to tell people the difference, you know, and I'm not knocking this era and these kids that are playing now, and I love watching them play. But in my time, it was like Kareem one night, Parrish one night, Akeem one night, uh, Patrick Ewing the next night. It's like, come on, do I get a break? David Robinson the following night. You know, and then you get, you know, Barkley and Malone and oh, it was too many, too many great players. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. And you even left out, I mean, uh, you know, Zoe also, Alonzo Mourning. Who was? Uh, Alonzo, yeah, there's so many. They came in Matumbo. They, yeah. they were just so many great players. Every night you had to go. And the thing with me, I was the defensive guy. So if a team had a great seven-footer, I guarded him. But like when we played um, Utah, I had to guard Malone. When we played Philadelphia, I had to guard Barkley. So I had to be able to guard that size as well as the center. So it made for a tough <laughs> couple of years in the league. And it's amazing you talk about like when you first got to college, how they questioned your toughness, and then you look over the 15 years playing against all those guys and your durability. Who was the toughest center that you had to, you know, battles with over the course of your career? Who was the absolute guy you, you know, looking at the schedule say, oh, man, I don't want to play tonight? Well, I never said that, but the <laughs> guy that really gave me fit was Akeem Olajuwon because it was like, how do I defend him? You know, and it wasn't until one of the playoff series I figured his tail. You know, it's a poker term, but I figured his tail. He had a tail, and people didn't know it, and I never shared it with people while during my career. But one of the things I realized with Akeem Olajuwon is the, 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 the dream shake, whichever way he started first, that's where he would always turn and shoot. Oh, wow. And so it wasn't until, you know, once I found that out, I, had, I still couldn't, you know, you're not stopping this man. But it gave me a slight advantage, you know, with him as opposed to any other um, player. But he was still a handful. But it made it, you know, somewhat like, oh, my God, I know exactly what he's going to do right now. As soon as he turns, I'm standing there waiting on him. He's like, whoa, wait a minute. He knows my moves. But he was by far. But then when Shaquille came in the league, he was a whole different problem, <laughs> you know, because his size, I had never experienced that. And so I was like, man, he's got quickness. He's strong. And then when he got real big, like in 98, 99, 2000, oh, Lord. <laughs> We're speaking with Olden Polonese. You know, we mentioned all the greats that you played against. But, you know, there's also that group of players that, unfortunately, as generations go by, people forget about. If you had to pick, like, a starting five of the guys that got the most out of their talent in your era that might not be on everyone's all-time great list, but we're just such a handful to play against. Who would that be? Mm, that's a tough question. That really is. I don't know. Because everybody, to me, was tough because you don't make the NBA and not be good. You know, I know we had our superstars and all, but they were like, okay, Buck Williams was a handful. Buck Williams doesn't get a lot of credit, right. but... I, I would rather play Hakeem Olajuwon than Buck Williams. Wow. One of the things is this. Kevin Willis, another guy. Because they were so much like me. I didn't even want to play guys that were like me. You know? I just didn't. Dennis Rodman, I didn't want to see. At all. 
because I'm like, good Lord, he's going to have me running all over the place, man. I can't do this all night. You know, so I never wanted to play against guys that were similar in style to what I did. You know, but Buck Williams was a grown man with grown man strength, and he worked hard. And I was like, oh, my goodness. You know, so, you know, those were three I would, you know, ride the back, even though we all know Dennis Rodman. But I would definitely put him in that category because he worked harder than any superstar I'd ever seen. Those are three great names for sure. Buck Williams. Wow, I haven't heard that name in years, but it's true. And unfortunately, those are the names that somehow, you know, younger listeners, you know, don't know about because they're not the ones that, you know, you hear about when you're watching an NBA game and the old stories. But those, unfortunately, are the ones that don't get the credit that they deserve. Over the 15 years, you had a wide range of coaching styles uh, that, you know, were your head coaches. Bernie Bickerstaff, Casey Jones, uh, Mike Schuler, Matt Cavan, uh, Larry Brown, Ron Rothstein, Don Chaney, uh, Paul Westfield, uh, Westfall, Jerry Sloan, Mike Dunleavy. Which of the coaches did you feel you connected the most with? And when you served as a coach for the ABA's Long Beach Breakers, which former coaches' words did you hear coming out of your mouth like saying, whoa, where did that come from? Oh, it was um, the two, may they rest in peace, the two that just passed away, Jerry Sloan and Casey Jones. I, I pattern everything that I learned after, you know, Casey's compassion and treating you like a man, you know, and Jerry Sloan's is no nonsense, you know, get to work. He treats everybody the same. I don't play favorites. You know, he yelled at, I, I'll tell you this story. It is the funniest thing. So I get traded to, I ain't get traded. I'm sorry. I signed with, um, with Utah from Seattle. So I get there and we practicing and all that stuff. So first preseason game we're playing and we're running a break. And then Stock, John Stockton, he stops in the middle of the break. And it's like he looks over at Jerry and is like, what do you want? You know, I'm like, so I walk over to him doing a timeout, right? I said, wait a minute. Do you ask him what place you're like, yeah, he's the coach. And I was like, wow, because it blew my mind that one, Jerry Sloan had that much respect, but two, as great as John Stockton was, he still deferred to the head coach, you know, on what place to run. And it just blew me away. And it showed the level of respect that players have for Jerry Sloan. And I'll tell you this other thing. No one was ever late <laughs> to a practice or to a game in Utah, that, you know, that's which a, is unheard of. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's interesting because you, you take a look at the era in which you played, and, and I'm just wondering myself is if your career actually started the year after you retired and ran 15 years from that point on, the way you played the game the way the players controlled who and where teams they went up with. How, how do you think this fifth, that 15 year period would have differed from your actual career? I think personally, I would have been okay because I was a team guy, even to a detriment. You know, I, I was always about, you know, my teammates, you know, I'm rooting them on no matter what, but I just, I don't know about the rules. I would have had to adapt to the rules. You know, like I used to call our era, you know, wrestling with a basketball, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so that's the only thing. But it's just having to adapt to the style of play 
that would be the hardest thing for me because, again, a lot of fouls that we had were normal fouls, and today you're getting you know, two, three-game suspensions for. <laughs> and so that would have been the hardest thing for me to adapt to. And how do you think you'd be able to adapt when you get maybe three or four steps holding the ball to the basket? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Especially with my hook? Yeah. Yeah, I would have out of I would have performed a little bit better. <laughs> so, but what do you make of you know players looking to win championships and looking to see what the best destination is for them and and forcing teams to trade them? Could you ever imagine that back in your playing day? No, not at all. And that's one. Again, I don't want to criticize these young guys, but that's the one I don't like because everybody you know teaming together. It's like, come on, you know, play the game, you know. Work hard on your game, and whatever happens, happens. Now, if everybody decides to go play with their friends and buddies, it's like, what's left? There's no more competition. And so, to me, that's the only thing that I don't agree, I don't agree with because I, I see a lot of these players taking the shortcut. And perfect example is this, okay? Scotty Pippen or whomever, right? Uh, Carl Malone, John Stockton, I can name all, Reggie Miller, I can name every player in those in the 80s, 90s. It's like they became great players, you know? So they had to work hard at their game. They had to work on their skill. They became Hall of Famers. They, people think they woke up one day and were, were great. No, they had to develop into great players. And so when those teams... And the last team that I've seen do it, it was the Golden State Warriors. Clay, Steph, and Draymond. You got to remember, Draymond's a second-round pick. And I always tell this story. If Draymond goes to any other team in the NBA, he does not make the NBA. He does not last. So the Warriors had to have enough confidence and foresight to say, hey, this guy's going to be good. But those guys, they worked hard to become great. So I think people see the Warriors now and they think, oh, it was done so easily. And it's not. These guys work hard. And that's what I'm trying to get a lot of these young players to understand. You've got to put the work and effort in. You know, it can, it's not going to be a shortcut to championships. There's no shortcut. And even with those three great players, it also takes a great coach to be able to have them match because not, you know, sometimes you can have those players that work hard and have great talent. And if the coach doesn't, you know, put them in an area to succeed, it, it's a mess. Um, you mentioned those, and, and we've talked about the Warriors for so many years on this program. Today's game, who is the one player that you, you know, just find joy in watching? That I enjoy watching? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I love Kevin Durant. I love Clay. I'm waiting for him to get back. He, he may be my favorite one to, to watch play now. Him and Steph. I mean, I love I love the Warriors system. You know, it's um, it's like an upgraded version of, of the San Antonio Spurs. You know, and very unselfish. But um, yeah, I love Kevin Durant. I love Clay. I love Steph. I love people that play hard and give it their all, but yet it's still within the confines of teamwork. And so, you know, I got to give LeBron his respect. What he's done over the years is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. I mean, I've, I've never seen anybody get better as they get older in basketball. That's like almost unheard of. That's a real, you know, it's unheard of. 
That was a really nice correlation you made there between the, you know the Robinson era, you know Spurs and and Steph and his Warriors. I, I like that. That that's really that that's dead on actually too. Odin, thanks so much for your time tonight. Um, more importantly, where can people keep up with all the great charity work you do and and what you're up to on social media? Where where can people follow you? Well, they can follow me on Instagram and. On Instagram, it's Olden Polynesian, and on Twitter, it's Olden Polynesian One. So everything else is Olden Polynesian except for Twitter, and it's Olden Polynesian One because somebody took my name. <laughs> but M one, not the zero. I mean, come on. How did no, that I didn't want to do the zero. No? I just said one. I don't know. I don't even know why I did. I was new to this whole thing. I, I still don't know how I even came up with that. <laughs> I should have just put the real Olden Polynesian for something like that. But you know, I'm like whatever. <laughs> All right, Alden. Thanks so much for your time tonight. We really appreciate it. Be good. Stay healthy right. and uh, enjoy the football. Enjoy the basketball for the rest of the night. All right. Thank you so much. You got it. Alden Polonese, 15-year NBA veteran.